Welcome to our fourth and final part of How to Be Happy Though Human, Handling Our Feelings as Emotional Beings. We'll be talking about how to deal with our emotions in spiritually healthy ways. Last week when we were dealing with us as volitional beings and stating the importance of each of us realizing that, that all of us are to assume personal responsibility for the choices we make. I was stressing the importance of our keeping very clearly distinct in our minds the difference between goals on the one hand and desires on the other. A goal is an objective that you definitely want to go after, that you want to pursue, that 100% depends on your willingness to do certain things. Dependent on God coming through and on your being willing to do certain things, that's a goal that you can truly give yourself to. A desire, on the other hand, is something that you passionately want, but you realize depends on the uncertain cooperation of another human being. And therefore, the proper way to deal with goals and desires is Assume responsibility for your goals and pray about your desires. And what happens is that when we get these two mixed up, we start assuming responsibility for things that we ought to be praying about. And we're praying about some things that we ought to be assuming responsibility for. I received something in the mail that was such a beautiful illustration of this aspect of the difference between goals and desires that I thought I would take the first couple of moments and just read this to you. This came from a friend of ours. His name is Wes Roberts. He has a ministry of encouragement to pastors. As I read this, think of the difference now between a goal and a desire. What is it that I will assume responsibility for? What is it that I need to pray about? As your parent, I can share your life, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can allow you freedom, but I cannot account for it. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can teach you right from wrong, but I cannot decide for you. I can buy you beautiful clothes, but I cannot make you lovely inside. I can offer you advice, but I cannot accept it for you. I can give you love, but I cannot force it upon you. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you to respect, but I cannot force you to honor. I can advise you about friends, but I cannot choose them for you. I can tell you the facts of life, but I cannot build your reputation. I can tell you about drinking and drugs, but I cannot say no for you. I can tell you about lofty goals, but I cannot achieve them for you. I can teach you kindness, but I cannot force you to be gracious. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can teach you about Jesus, but I cannot make him your savior. I can show you faith, but I cannot make you trust in Christ. I can teach you about prayer, but I cannot make you pray. I can tell you how to live, but I cannot give you eternal life. I can and will love you forever. 
What a beautiful way to describe the distinction between a goal and a desire. What you as a parent can assume a responsibility for and what you can pray about. That's an important distinction. Elaborate on this aspect now of what it means to be an emotional being. Here's the lead principle to keep in mind. As emotional beings, it is essential that we handle our feelings in a healthy and edifying way. As emotional beings, it is essential that we handle our emotions in healthy and edifying ways. For God made us with a capacity to experience a wide range of emotions. Some of those emotions are very pleasant. You had any pleasant emotions lately? I hope so. There are many pleasurable emotions that God gave us the capacity to experience. They're enjoyable, exciting, delightful, comfortable, any kind of a wide range of emotions that we would describe as pleasant. Unfortunately, the flip side is also true. Some of those emotions are very painful. There are a wide range of painful emotions that one can experience too. But these can be annoying or grievous or excruciating, unpleasant, disturbing. In other words, when we talk about agony and ecstasy, the truth is God gave each of us as human beings the possibility of experiencing emotionally that which is everything from agonizing to ecstasy. But note this, in either case, God desires, God desires that the emotions have a constructive and not a destructive value in our life. Now, if you could opt for one or the other, a pleasant or a painful emotion, which would you choose? All in favor of pleasant, say aye. All in favor of painful? Pleasure wins out all the time over pain. In terms of what we would prefer, but we tend to just identify emotions in terms of that which is pleasurable or painful. And we will do anything to approach pleasurable and we'll do anything to avoid painful. But the truth is this, that God wants us to see emotions not just in terms of that which is pleasant and painful. He also wants us to see it in terms of that which is constructive or destructive. Because God knows how to take even the most painful of emotions that we would ever go through. And God is able to make that work for a constructive purpose in our life. And on the other hand, Satan loves to take the painful emotions and painful experiences of our life to drive us away from God. And Satan tries to take the pleasurable experiences of life the pleasurable emotions of life and get us so hooked on that that in either case, we are drawn away from the Lord. And the opposite is true in God's intention. God wants the pleasurable things to draw us to him and the painful things more than anything else to bring us to a convinced awareness of our proneness to selfishness, of our proneness to try to seek satisfaction in things other than in God. So God uses even the pain in our life for the constructive purpose of bringing us to a more deeply convinced awareness of how great and mighty and faithful and loving and true he really is. 
so that the disappointing experiences that happen in our life are not intended by God to drive us away from him, but through all of that, more than anything else, should draw us to him. Painful emotions are constructive when they lead me to a convicting awareness of my selfishness or a need for my absolute reliance on God. Well, these are principles that are true then about God making us with this wide range of emotions, but we have to make this observation, that living daily in a fallen world presents us with endless opportunities for unpleasant emotions to arise. Like, how many minutes were you awake this morning before some unpleasant emotion hit you? And we're just talking minutes now, and you're probably not even, haven't even thrown the covers off the bed yet, and you're already experiencing some unpleasant emotions. And then you go through half a day, and you go through the whole day, and then the end of the day comes. All of us have had incredible numbers of opportunities for unpleasant emotions to have arisen. Why is that? I love this quote. I came across this quote this last week. One of the books that I had been reading by Larry Crabb, and who's had a powerful ministry in my life and in many lives. Notice what he said here. In heaven, nothing will be wrong with anything. But here, something is wrong with everything. Isn't that true? It's just a fact of life. In heaven, nothing will be wrong with anything. But here, something's wrong with everything. It's so true. And that's why each of us have endless opportunity for unpleasant emotions to arise all the time because there's something wrong with just about everything at some point in time. I think in Romans 8, verses 18 to 23, how Paul described it there, he says, you know what, all creation is groaning. All creation, it's not just us human beings, even the animal creation is also groaning because life is in the minor key. The symphony of life is so much in a minor key because of what sin has done in this world. And all creation is groaning. And we too, even though we have the Spirit of God living within us, we too groan. We're all groaning until the day will come, until the revelation of the sons of God, the children of God. In Revelation 21, verse 4, it reads like this, And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Folks, that's true, but it's not true yet. I mean, it is true, but it hasn't happened yet. And therefore, if we expect life now to be as heaven will be, we will be disappointed every time. If you go to a restaurant expecting steak and you get hamburger, you're disappointed. And we go into life, we go into jobs, we go into churches, we go into marriage, we go into things expecting gourmet dinner, and we wind up with hamburgers or beanie weenies or something like that, and we just were so disappointed. Well... There are three clusters of emotions that trouble us the most. The first cluster is resentment. And in this area of resentment, we could have a whole range of things. That's why I call it a cluster of emotions. It could be everything from just being irritated at somebody or frustrated or hurt or angry or hostile. You may have a grudge. You may be bitter. It may be absolute rage. 
But here's a wide, big cluster of emotions that all seem to bunch up around this idea of resentment. Here's an observation to keep in mind. Resentment often comes from having a blocked goal. Resentment all, often comes from having a blocked goal. That's why you love stop signs. That's why you love it when you come to a railroad track down here at the end of Arnold Road and you're trying to get to church or you're trying to get home after church and a long, slow freight train comes and it stops. And then they switch the engines and change cars and you're sitting there for 20 minutes. You love it, don't you? And why do you love it so much? You love it so much because you had a goal of getting to the other side of town and that freight train blocked your goal. Now, if you perceive that situation differently, and you say, praise the Lord, I love to watch trains go by, and I've needed five minutes just to sit here and just relax. No, usually your goal isn't to sit there and relax. It's to go somewhere else. Someone blocked your goal. You're anywhere from mildly irritated to in a rage. God intends our emotions many times to be like the, the light on our dashboard. But you see, when I begin to feel resentment and anger or tension and this kind of thing boiling up, the first thing I ought to do is say, what goal just got blocked? And I'll probably discover that for that moment in time, as much as I give lip service to the fact that my goal is to glorify God, my real goal was to get on the other side of the railroad track. My real goal was to have things my way. And so, though it's painful to feel that resentment or that anger, that frustration, it's painful it may be a signal to me that I'm insisting and demanding on having my way. And when I don't get my way, I get mad. Now, obviously, there are a lot of other scenes you could portray here in describing this. This is just one illustration of it. What's another cluster of emotions that people often deal with? Anxiety, which often comes from an uncertain goal. The anxiety comes many times when it is uncertain to us whether this thing that we're really hoping will take place will take place. It's uncertain, and we're anxious about it. Anxiety can come anywhere from feeling uneasy, inadequate, alarmed, apprehensive, fearful, phobic, living with great anguish. All of these are around that cluster of anxiety from the uncertain goal. Or here's a third illustration, and that is feelings of guilt. And I say guilt feelings, here because now we're describing the emotions. I'm not describing the reality of moral guilt right now. I'm saying the feeling of guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty when we're not guilty. There's such a thing as false guilt. And many of us live under a sense of false guilt. If I continue to have guilty feelings over real sin that I have truly repented of, and taken to the cross, and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for his forgiveness. If I continue to be feeling guilt for what I did, that's a guilt feeling that is false, because the reality is I have been forgiven, I have been cleansed, and I still feel guilty, and the problem is false guilt feels just like real guilt. Some of us feel guilty because we have not reached goals that we assumed responsibility for that should have been desires that we were praying for all along instead of being goals that we were assuming responsibility for. And we're feeling guilt because everybody else in the world isn't happy with us. We're feeling guilt for decisions other people made instead of knowing that if I'm at fault, 
and it's dealt with, it's dealt with, and there are consequences perhaps still from what I had done before, but the guilt has been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. Guilt feelings often come from having an unreached goal, saying, here's what I'm truly setting out to do. I failed to reach it, and it's that feeling of guilt. It's the feeling of failure that goes along with that. This failure, this regret, this remorse that is happening. Now, sometimes God wants us to feel guilty. If we're guilty, he wants us to feel guilty, and we should feel pain. But it's the constructive kind of pain that draws us to the cross and to the Lord. The kind of guilt that Satan heaps on us is the kind of guilt that makes us feel like such a failure. God would never accept me. God would never forgive me and it drives us away from the Lord and just tempts us to go into more sin. I'm already guilty. I might as well keep on sinning. And the truth is, God wants that flashing light of that pain of guilt to be the signal to us to turn that situation afresh to the Lord and to regain his perspective on it and to do what he would have us to do in that regard. Living daily in a fallen world does present us with those unpleasant emotions. But problem emotions become even more troublesome when they are not handled properly. Let's look at three ways of handling the emotions. The first way, one extreme, is that we may try to stuff our feelings. We may try to stuff our feelings. Chances are, if we try to stuff our feelings, after a while, we're going to be a basket case. When we stuff the feelings, we're saying, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, I know I shouldn't feel this way, so I don't feel this way. I'm denying the fact that I'm having these emotions of resentment or anxiety or guilt or whatever other emotions I might be having. In other words, here's one who will try to bury his emotions, bottle them up, deny, disown, repress, pretend. All of these are different ways of describing one unhealthy and unbiblical way of dealing with the emotions that are there. But look at the result. When all of that emotional energy and all of that being charged up here but denied and pressed in Sometime it'll just blow. It'll have emotional, physical, psychological, all other kinds of repercussions that can come there eventually. When I stuff it, I just say, no, I'm not angry. If I'm angry and I deny it, great depression will often come when I have an internal explosion that eventually happens here because of all this energy I'm spending trying to deny the fact that I'm angry or resentful, clothe it in other words and pretend it's not there, but it might really be there. If it's there, I need to deal with it. But I don't deal with it by stuffing it. Number two, we may impulsively decide dump. Impulsively decide just to dump our emotions all over anybody or anything that's around. Am I pleading my case, say, for emotional honesty and integrity? And because I'm saying, well, you know, above all else, I must be true to how I feel, I'm going to tell you how I feel. And I just blurt out everything I feel all over you. It doesn't bother me that it may blow you away. I just feel much better because, well, I really got that off my chest. I really was able to tell you how I really feel. That's one that might indiscriminately vent their feelings. They say, well, it's less than honest not to really tell you exactly how I feel. So here's how I feel. And they just dump. And they, they walk off. They feel so great. The first guy, of course, is the guy that gets ulcers. And the second kind of guy is the guy that gives ulcers because they're just unloading all of this garbage of their feelings and emotions all of the other time. There's got to be a better way of handling the real emotions that are there. Between the two extremes is the healthy biblical approach. 
where we do two things. First step one, we fully acknowledge our feelings to God. Fully acknowledge our feelings to God. And step two, we selectively express them to others in accordance with the will and purpose of God. That avoids the danger of stuffing, and it avoids the disaster of dumping. What this means is, for whatever emotions and feelings that I'm struggling with and dealing with at this time, I'm coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, my great high priest, who is touched by my infirmities and who understands me and all that I'm going through, and I can go to him and I say, Lord, this is how I feel. Lord, I'm struggling with this right now. Lord, I am so angry. Lord, I realize I'm bitter. Lord, I realize I'm uptight. I'm anxious. Lord, this frustrates me so bad. In fact, I'm not just frustrated. Lord, I'm really ticked off at so-and-so for this or that. But you see, whatever that feeling might be, I'm free to go to the Lord with that because he is capable of handling anything and everything that I might ever share with him. First of all, he already knows. He knows already in his omniscience. He knows already. There's no kidding him. There's no reason trying to stuff how I feel before him. He knows what I'm struggling with, but he wants me to bring it to him and freely and fully express to him or acknowledge to God my feelings. But notice step two said, selectively express them to others. In other words, I am not to just blindly share with others in my life or everyone in my life how I might be feeling, but in honesty before God, I'm transparent before God of how I feel. And then I say, Lord, now what do you want me to do taking this emotion or this feeling that I have? Would it serve your purposes for me to share with this person how I am feeling? Would it serve your purposes in doing this? Or would it just relieve me, but now destroy another person? If it is not consistent with God's purpose of loving and edifying another person, I should not express it to them. Because my goal is to hurt them, which is not consistent with the will of God. There is no harm in not expressing an emotion that you have acknowledged to God. Harm comes when you neither express nor acknowledge the reality of the feelings that you may have. A verse that I'd like to read, a passage in Hebrews that says in verse 14 to 16 of Hebrews 4, says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. He's your great high priest. It is to him that you can go any hour of the day, any time of the year, any place in the world, you can turn to him and freely and fully express your heart to him. And if you want some help doing it, I would recommend reading the book of Psalms because there's nothing like the book of Psalms to give you an illustration of godly people who just poured out their hearts to God. Sometimes David and the other psalmists, sometimes 
They were just so thrilled and excited about God, you couldn't put a lid on it. They were just praising God with such great feeling and emotion. And other times, they were in such despair and confusion and hurt, and they voiced it. Psalms is good to help you express and acknowledge to God the feelings you have, but then selectively share them with others. That is, subordinating the expression of your emotions to the known will of God. If it is consistent with his purposes, share it. Sometimes we don't like to share our feelings because we fear reprisal. We fear rejection, and we think, well, I would rather be gracious. I would rather be loving and gracious. Listen, it's not loving and gracious not to share how you feel. If sharing how you feel would help move another person closer to the Lord, and it's for the purpose of drawing your relationship together in a more godly fashion rather than trying to drive someone else away. You need to risk at times to do it. But notice it says in Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Does that mean every word we say has to be pleasant and pleasurable to people? No, sometimes we need to share things with people that's painful to them. But if it's for the purpose of edifying them, do it. And don't chicken out of sharing that which is painful simply because you're trying to be safe and self-protected and not sharing what needs to be shared. Selectively express them to others in accordance with the will of God. Two other things to keep in mind. Feelings must not be given authority to determine or excuse our choices. If you and I just always do what we feel like doing, we're letting our feelings, our emotions, be Lord of our life instead of letting the Lord be the Lord of our emotions, handling the emotions that we may have. We cannot, we should not, we must not allow the feelings to have that authority to determine or excuse our choices. And fifthly, it's not hypocritical to behave contrary to our feelings. It is hypocritical to behave contrary to our stated convictions. That's what hypocrisy would be. Because Satan would try to tell us, well, you know, by all means, be true to your feelings. Just always do whatever you feel like doing. And if you're doing something you don't feel like doing, you're a hypocrite. Well, it is true. You're being a hypocrite. But you've got a choice. And I have a choice every day. Will I be a hypocrite to my feelings? Or am I going to be a hypocrite to my commitments and my convictions? Because if before God I make commitments and convictions... And he is my Lord, and I want to honor him. There are times when doing what he wants me to do, I will not feel like doing it. There are times when I may not emotionally be drawn to do it, but I'm not being a hypocrite to do what is right when I know that my stated commitment is I am committed to doing what is right to what will glorify God. If we were trying to put all of this together, of the things that we've been stating in this series, we've discussed the personal and the rational, the volitional and the emotional. You might think of it like four tires that go on a car. Your car usually runs a lot more smoothly when you have the proper inflation in those tires. If you're riding around with one or two or three or four tires, underinflated, overinflated, or just absolutely flat, you're going to have a rough ride. The four tires on our car of our life are the personal, the rational, the volitional, and the emotional. Personal fullness is when I realize and I have a convinced awareness that my security and my significance are fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and all that he has provided for me. Rationally, fullness means I'm rejecting the foolishness tapes that this world and that Satan feeds me constantly, and I'm choosing to think biblically, play godly tapes in my mind. I'm choosing to correct the foolish thinking as I become aware of it. Volitional fullness is realizing that whatever I choose to do right now, tomorrow, 10 minutes from now, what I do is my choice, and I'm assuming responsibility for the choices I make. And emotional fullness is being honest with God about the emotions that I truly have and seeking his wisdom and guidance as to how and when with whom I should share how I feel. I am acknowledging and dealing with the emotions that are truly there. Remember a few weeks ago we said that human beings like Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But the king can. For Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that in spite of failure and in spite of sin, through grace, he puts us together again. And that's how to be happy, though human. Lord God, we thank you for what a great God you are. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you poured out on us. You became a human being. You experienced life and the worst that life and the worst that hell could throw at you. And you died on the cross in full payment for our sin and our failure. And I pray, Lord, that the heart's desire of each one of us might be to recognize that there is no satisfaction, no fulfillment in life or in any other human relationship apart from you. May we seek you. May we quit digging cisterns of our own that can never hold water. May we return afresh to you, the fountain of living water. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this final message in our four-part series, How to Be Happy Though Human, where we focused on our feelings as emotional beings. We pray that God will use these truths in your life in an ongoing way. One final personal thought before I sign off. I introduced this series explaining my passion for passing on this message, just like the Apostle Paul challenged Timothy to pass on what he had entrusted to him. Paul once summarized his ministry saying, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Similarly, when Peggy and I were raising our three children, Jonathan, Jennifer, and Jeremy, often when they were leaving the house, I would give them this simple two-letter charge, W.W. Walk Worthy. Now, as I close this series, I give you the same charge, W.W. Walk Worthy. <laughs>